The state of the union is not good. Our country is in uh, a tragic place. I'm 46. I've not, I was not around for any of the world wars. I was not around for Vietnam. I was not around for any of those um, moments in American history where I wasn't around for the Civil War, when division and hatred within our own borders caused such, not, not the world wars, the world wars were a time of great unity, but after, after, after God became an enemy in this country, I haven't been around for that. I wasn't around for the civil rights wars where there was just foul hatred that took place toward other human beings. But I am around now, and I see what's going on. And it is just, it's just amazing. It's just amazing to me. Sad, angering, and either side could say that, but for the followers of God, for the people who, who profess faith in God or Messiah Yeshua, like we have become anathema, right? Cursed. We're small-minded, we're, we're hateful, we're bigots, we're racists, we're every other thing. The moral compass of the United States has been smashed with a sledgehammer, had sulfuric acid poured on it, melted it down into particles, dug a hole and buried it at the core of the earth. There is no moral compass in the United States. There is, there is, I'm, but, but what's happening is that there's a wave. There's a wave taking over. And the thing is, it's happening within our religious communities as well. It's happening with some of the things that we've talked about of late, where people are divesting themselves from Israel, from the Jewish people, from the, the old covenant, where the Bible is completely irrelevant. The way that we've read it is wrong. There is negative influence everywhere. And I promise you I will turn this around. But that story right there is the confirmation that we are living in tragic times. And there is negative influence surrounding us everywhere. And the question I ask is, what are we to do about it? Where are we to look? Well, I will venture to say, and I'll make this bold statement, contrary to those things which are floating around right now out there, I suggest we look in the Word of God for that. I suggest that we look in the Tanakh and the Apostolic Scriptures, which I all group together into our Scriptures. I suggest that contrary to some popular preachers who I've talked about lately, I suggest that we dig into the nasty old covenant scriptures and look for some answers because they have guided God's people for 3,500 years. And I suggest we start with hero number one, who we met last week, Abraham. And he is in our portion last week from Lech Lecha and this week from Vayera. Is he the first hero? Well, Adam's not a hero. 
Adam failed. Noah is Noah a hero? Yes, Lance gave us a, a side of Noah as a hero, but even within Judaism, there's a thought that Noah could have done more, like a hundred years building a ship and nobody else got on it? I mean, you like, couldn't you have spoken to a couple of people? Maybe he did. It was a wretched, horrible society. I'm not criticizing Noah. But Abraham, without a doubt, is hero number one who we're meeting in the scriptures. And interestingly, if you consider Abraham's life, where was he from? Where did he start his story? Ur, where did he go? Haran. And both of those places... One of their favorite gods was the moon god. There's Midrash that speaks of Abraham's life in Ur as his father was an idol seller, that he had an idol shop. There's a great kid's book in our library called Avram and the Idol Shop, and that Abraham went in and smashed all his dad's idols. He was like us in a certain sense, surrounded by depravity. Look around, read the news. He was surrounded by gross polytheism, idols. And it's not that different than our world. And God said to him, what? Lech lecha, get out. And he did. He got out. And why did he tell him to get out? Well, there's a number of reasons. One we dis- determined last week was that was Abraham's first test. Lech lecha, are you willing to give up everything for me and go where I tell you? And so he got out, but why? Why did he get out? Well, because he was surrounded by negative influence is one answer. And for this, I want to dig into a book called Sefer Mada which is written by Rambam, great sage of Israel and the, of, of the Jewish people. And he writes this book, and this chapter in it is called, Sefer Mata is the book of knowledge, and this chapter called Deot is the laws of personal development. And here's what Rambam says you do when you live in a place like Ur or Haran. It is natural for a man's character and actions to be influenced by his friends and associates and for him to follow the local norms of behavior. Therefore, he should associate with the righteous and be constantly in the company of the wise so as to learn from their deeds. Conversely, he should keep away from the wicked who walk in darkness so as not to learn from their deeds. This is implied by Solomon's statement. He quotes Proverbs 13, 20. He who walks with the wise will become wise, while he who associates with fools will suffer. Similarly, Psalm 1, 1 states, Happy is the man who has not followed the advice of the wicked. A person who lives in a place where the norms of behavior are evil and the inhabitants do not follow the straight path should move to a place where the people are righteous and follow the ways of the good. He goes on to say, and if you can't find a place like that, if it's so barren and desolate, full of wickedness, move to the desert, to the thicket, to a cave, I don't care where you go, just get out. And so Abraham did that, right? Abraham, not to a cave, he got out. He moved from Ur to Haran, and then he was called out to leave 
from Haran. Where does Abraham go from Haran? Canaan, Egypt, with a little bit of an interaction in Sodom, the most wicked place on earth and the four cities surrounding it. He goes from a place of negative influence to a potentially worse place. Canaan, sacrificing children and serving all kinds of false gods and having temple prostitution and every other thing that's going on. So, but my question is, is Rambam's approach right? Is that what we should do? When we're surrounded by depravity and wickedness, should we just leave? Should we remove ourselves from the situation? Certainly we do that with our children, right? We want to protect them. We don't let them watch everything that comes on TV, go to every movie, go anywhere. We protect them. We keep them safe within a zone. So, Should we do that with ourselves? Like, for instance, in our country right now, should we we build a big brick wall around here, close ourselves in, all build houses on the land and never move? Some say yes. (laughs) And at times, yes, you feel like that, but that's not what Abraham did. And who directed Abraham to do that? God, Hashem said, Just go, and I'll tell you more when you get there. So you would think, well, Abraham's going to go to this holy haven of righteousness, and he'll live his days out in peace, praying and praising God. How is it that God could put Abraham in a place to be around people like this? The answer is found in Abraham's departure from Haran, which we find in the Torah. And it says in Genesis 13, I believe, it says that Sarah and Abraham left Haran with their possessions and the people they acquired. That's a weird thing. With the people they acquired, what they had slaves, The Hebrew suggests something different. It says the souls they had made. Abraham and Sarah had no children. How did they make souls? Here is why God could take them, take Abraham and Sarah and send them from bad to worse. They were influencers. The souls they had made These are the people that interacted with Abraham, who Abraham discipled. This is a very common Torah, for that Torah portion, it's a very common topic of study. Abraham was the master disciple maker. When people interacted with Abraham, he talked to them about God. He talked to them about monotheism. He talked to them about a relationship with God, about abandoning all that was bad and coming. And they became followers of Adonai through Abraham the disciple maker, his influence was strong. How did his influence get strong? How did he build this faith? We talked about it last week. By testing. 
He had faith and God knew he could handle it. And Abraham was not afraid to influence the society around him. And thus the souls that he made came out. And this brings up a very interesting comparison. And for this, I want to give credit to the, this is the strangest uh, reference of credit that I've ever given. I was searching through iTunes. I was looking for a commentary, a podcast on the Torah portion. This was last week. And I came across one called Knowledge in the Deeper Things. And I listened to it. I'm not endorsing it. It has, there's a lot of like mystical discussion and all kinds of stuff. I'm not, I'm not endorsing it. But for me, in this particular time, I heard something wonderful. Problem? I don't know anything about who the guy who taught it was. He never mentioned his name or anything. So I'm crediting this podcast for what I'm about to share with you. I then did find out later that it is a Chabad place in Atlanta, an hour away from us. But anyway, that's the credit. And I, whoever you are, if you hear me referencing your lecture, thank you for it. Back to our lecture, back to our teaching. Kosher meat. How are kosher meat and Abraham in common, and more importantly, how should we be like kosher meat? Kosher salt. Kosher salt. What's the difference between kosher salt and non-kosher salt? Anyone know? The size. All salt is kosher. It should be called koshering salt. Why? Because salt is drawing out the blood. So if you put Morton's all over your thing, it, it might take a little while. So you have what this bigger kosher ring salt, right? So a question is asked in the halacha of koshering meat. Can we, the question says, kosher two pieces of meat in the same dish? What is koshering? Koshering? We're rinsing the meat, we're salting the meat, and then we're going to wash the salt off. And what's happening as the salt is, is doing its job, it's drawing out the blood. Can we kosher two pieces of meat in the same dish? What's the risk? The risk is that if you take out from one and the other absorbs, you have now created a problem. Can we do this? And the halacha states, yes, we can. By this principle. And there you have it, folks. Shabbat shalom. <laughs> when something is giving off, it cannot absorb. When something is giving off, it cannot absorb. Can we kosher two pieces of meat together? Yes, we can. The salt has put the meat in the position of giving out the blood, and it cannot then receive. This is a 
awesome example for what we're talking about. How? What's that supposed to mean, Damien? Well, here's the, here's the next thing. Abraham refused to accept a situation. And uh, well, back up. You can obviously make the connection there with what I'm talking about in terms of Abraham being able to go into a nasty place. And how was he not able to be, be um, corrupted? Because he's salted. He's giving out, giving out, giving out, and receiving. They're receiving what he's giving out, right? But here's what I want to say about that, and this goes back to our first question. Do we, in our country, or Abraham in his country, do we just simply say, ah, it's a lost cause. Let's build the wall and build the houses and stay in here. Is that what Abraham said? God, I left Haran. I had these big plans and you sent me here and this is what you want me to do? It's a, it's a, it's a Shonda, God. It's, I, it's gross. I can't do it. I'm not doing it. I quit. Head in the sand, Abraham. No, he's not called head in the sand, Abraham. He's called man of great faith, Abraham, friend of God, Abraham. Why? Because he refused to accept the situation as reality. He refused to say, it is this way and I cannot change it. Rather, he goes in and says, I will give and give and give and give out and I will change. A chassid, a righteous person, does not accept a situation. He creates a situation. And for this, we look to our Torah portion for this week, Vayera, where we meet Hagar, right? We know her as Hagar, not the cartoon caveman. Hagar, Abraham's concubine who, who bore him Ishmael. And what happened? Ishmael made Sarah mad. And when the lady of the house is mad, look out. She said, Abraham, get him out. And what happened? They were exiled and Abraham had to take him out to the desert and he gave her a skin of water. This was one of Abraham's tests, by the way. And he gave her a skin of water and the text says in Genesis 21, I'm pretty sure it is, and the water ran out. And what did she do? Let's read it because I, I don't want you to miss. Let's read it here. God had already made promises to Abraham, by the way. The matter greatly distressed Abraham regarding his son. So God said to Abraham, be, dis be not distressed over the youth of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah tells you, it's a woman's favorite, favorite verse of the Torah. Whatever Sarah tells you, heed her voice. So Abraham awoke early. There he goes again with this passing test with eagerness. He awoke early in the morning and he went out. When the water of the skin was consumed, that is what Abraham gave her, she cast off the boy beneath one of the trees. She went and sat herself down at a distance, some bow shots away, for she said, let me not see the death of the child. And she sat at a distance, lifted her voice, and wept. God heard the cry of the youth, 
And an angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heeded the cry of the youth in his present state. Arise, lift up the youth, and grasp your hand upon him, for I will make a great nation of him. Then, listen to this. Then God opened her eyes, and she perceived a well of water. She went and filled the skin of water and gave the youth something to drink. What is the story? The story is what I'm talking about, about influencing your circumstances. What does that have to do with that? Hagar said, that's it. I quit. It's over. And right in her midst, had she had the eyes to see it, was the salvation from the well. That God had to open her eyes and let her see it. And she was saved. Jonathan Sachs, a story related by him of he, he was out of school for the summer. He was in college at Oxford. He came to the United States. He had a tour of different influential rabbis and he ended up in Brooklyn at Chabad with Menachem Mendel Schneerson, the Rebbe. And he went in and he had this talk with the Rebbe and he told him, he told him all this stuff and then the Rebbe turned it back around on him and he said, here's my question for you. What are you doing for Judaism on college campuses? I'm a college student. What do you mean? What are you doing for Judaism on college campuses? And Jonathan Sachs, a, a personal mentor, a pillar of modern Judaism, said to the Rebbe at this point, well, the situation I find myself in currently Stop, he said. You don't find yourself in a situation. You create one. And if you don't like that one, you create another one. And Jonathan Sachs took it literally and has become an incredible and great influencer around the world. Peter, well, I've, I, I failed. I, fa I mean, it's, it's done. I'm going fishing. It's done. I, I, it's just over. Yeshua, do you love me? Yeah, I do. Do you love me? I, I get, do you love me? Then change it. Don't accept it. Don't accept your failure as forever. Change your situation. And here's something that I really, 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 really love. And you're just going to have to sit there and listen to this because I'm not going to cut it short. I'm not going to rush through it. I'm going to take you through this incredible journey of Abraham's vision with the stars. And what does this have to do with anything? God said to Abraham, go out there, look at the stars. This is in last week's Parsha, Lech Lecha. He said, come outside and look up at the stars. And what's our understanding of what he says to him at that point? He says, I'll make you, I'll make your generations what? As numerous as the stars are the translations, if you can count them. Interesting thing to consider. Back in Genesis 13, he'd already told Abraham that he was going to make him his descendants like the dust of the earth. So, first of all, which one is it? Dust of the earth or stars? And first, secondly, which one is more 
Is there more dust or more stars? We probably can never know. And thirdly, is it actually true as we understand it? Have the Jews or are the Jews now more numerous than the stars in heaven or the dust of the earth? No, they never have been. We make up like 0.2% of the world's population. That's not what I call a big group. So, commentators of the Torah through the ages generally agree that God in this particular example related to the stars is not telling them, telling Abraham, they'll be as numerous. He's not giving a quantitative measurement. He's giving a qualitative statement that says to Abraham, look up at the stars. These are how your descendants will be. They will be like you. And here's my thing. They will be influencers. They will be the people of God. Your sons and daughters, Abraham, will inherit the earth. They will know me. They will influence. They have the power to influence. And I want you to think for just a second of a star. What is contained within a star? Light. God made. I believe God, Psalm 147 says that He created, He numbered the stars and He knows them by name. I believe God created those stars and took some of His divine light and put it in there. And what do stars do? Stars influence our world in a pretty significant way, would you say? Stars are the center of solar systems. Stars give out constantly. They do not take in. Stars, you can credit them for the salvation. You might even be able to credit the stars for the fact that you're sitting in the United States. Why? Because by the light and by the position and by their influence through the ages, sailors have guided their ships by the stars. Stars have led to salvation, literally meaning saving someone's life when lost at sea. If I can see the stars, I can get where I need to go by the light they give out. When a star dies, and I wish Sharon was here, when a star dies, its potential is to create a black hole. And what does a black hole do? It sucks everything in. Nothing, like no light in a black hole. And God is saying to Abraham, your people can be like you. They can change the world. And this takes me to Matthew 5.13. By the way, quick side note, why did Abraham have to leave Ur? If he was such an awesome influencer, why did he have to leave Ur? Why didn't he stay there and influence them? Why, didn't he, why did he have to leave Haran? Why didn't, if he, if he could do it anywhere, if he's so great, why didn't he leave? Remember Mark 6? Remember what Yeshua says about a prophet in his hometown, among his relatives and among his family? A prophet is, is without honor. A prophet has great honor except in his hometown. So maybe Abraham just had to get out because the job was done. 
But that's a side note. I, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. That got us off track. Matthew 5. Matthew 5. Do you remember how Yeshua describes us relative to the message that I've just given you? As a piece of kosher meat you are and a star, do you remember how God, Yeshua describes you in Matthew 5? Salt and light. I'm sorry, guys. That is just awesome. Sometimes I never speak highly of my own messages, but today I do. That's awesome. That is awesome. Salt and light and children of Abraham. Man, does that give you a tingle? It makes me feel good. I and you are influencers. We are, to, we are to be the salt. This is the great commission for goodness sakes. Salt and light. You are to be salt. You are to absorb. You are to take out from people the bad. And it won't be easy because in this life there's going to be tsuris. In other words, like Abraham, you're going to be tested. And I'm going to put you in environments where you're going to have to suck bad out of people. Because you're going to teach them what it means to repent. And then, then you're going to make disciples. You're going to be an influencer like Abraham. You're going to shine your light. You're not going to put it under a bushel. You're going to put it on a hill. And you're going to influence. And that is incredible. And that's your calling. So back to Rambam. Do we go and hide our head in the sand? There's an exception Rambam has. If you find yourself in a wicked place and your purpose there is to share God, you should stay. And so, here we go in conclusion. Who are you? A cave dweller? Are you hiding in the desert? Are you living in the thickets? Have you moved into the cave? Have you thrown up your hands? Are you a complaining acceptor of circumstance? Are you a black hole? Or are you a salty, faith-filled, shining star, son or daughter of Abraham? with a message of influence. Because tests, James says, lead to endurance. And so yes, as we started out, and, and please God for this synagogue in Pittsburgh, as we talk about this state of the union, it looks kind of grim. But are we giving outers? Are we giving outers? Are we called to influence like Abraham? Certainly like Yeshua. And there's us. And you have influence if you take it up, if you shine your light, if you be your koshering salt. You have the opportunity to influence lives, and I know many of you do, and don't stop doing it, because we must, must, must have it at work, at home, in the streets, in the restaurants, wherever you are, teaching about God like Abraham. And there's this last little bit, there's a phrase, there's a there's a, I think it's Pirkei Avot that says, a word from the heart enters the heart. Everything Abraham did was with this in mind. I will work and live to serve others. 
and I care about how it ends up. It's, I, I care about how it ends up for them. It's not just about, I gotta do this because I gotta love my neighbor. I gotta do this because I gotta live out the commandments. No, you do it because you actually care about seeing what happens. Your influence is not in arguments. Your influence is not to talk about why this particular um, political issue, why you tell somebody they're wrong as the start of a conversation, you have no influence. A word from the heart enters the heart. You need to learn. You need to learn to be gentle like Yeshua, and at times you have to be angry like Yeshua. But you have to be, what you give out must be genuinely interested in the person's welfare. And I was reading a funny thing to this week about 38 folk sayings from Jewish writings, and I came across this one. A single sharp pepper is better than a basket full of gourds. A single sharp pepper is better than a basket full of gourds. What the heck does that mean? What it actually means in that context is when you are having a discussion with someone, one statement of truth carries more value and worth than all of their useless words of argumentation. A single sharp pepper is better than a basket full of gourds. But in our context, here's what it means. One star, one shining star maintains a universe. You've all always wanted to be famous. I know you have because every human being wants some of that. So guess what? Be the star God created you to be. Shabbat Shalom.